0: looking at Luke chapter 2 beginning in verse 39, and we're going to read down this morning to verse 52, a really uh, excellent and rich passage of scripture, and I know you're going to find uh, find it to be a great help to have your own copy of scripture open and to be reading along with me, Luke chapter 2, you'll find this on page 858 if you're using a copy of the church Bible, and before we do look at this, let me briefly pray for us. Father in heaven, we ask that you would strengthen both the one who preaches and those who hear this morning. We pray that you would change us by the ministry of your word. We pray that you would help us, that you would speak, Lord Jesus, and make us to hear your voice as the very wisdom of God. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 39. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, they were returning, and the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group... And man, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God endures forever. Well, I've always been intrigued by the idea of what children think they're going to be when they're young. I was talking to some of you just the other day about that. What what did you want to be when you grew up? We ask our children, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" Sometimes we tell our children what we think they may be good at when they grow up and That is a normal experience. That is an experience probably all of us had when we were children, wondering what we're going to be when we grow up. It's an experience that Jesus had. Uh, Jesus was fully man. He was not this divine apparition which came down from heaven, and as a spirit being that just looked like a man, walked around and acted like a man, he was fully man. We say that Jesus is very God of very God and very man of very man. And as such, Luke gives us this incredible portrait of Jesus. These are the first words that we have recorded in all of human history from the mouth of the Savior. Luke has taken us from the infancy of Jesus and the circumcision in the temple and Mary presenting her son to the Lord to now the boy Jesus. And this is the only cameo we get. We get one picture of Jesus, 12 years old. What is it going to be? Is it going to be something supernatural? Is it going to be something astonishing? Is he going to bedazzle his brothers like a magician and do some kind of great, uh, spectacular boyhood miracle? No, it's very ordinary. We're told here in this passage that... In verse 40, Jesus grew, and he became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Well, this morning we want to consider two things. We want to consider the growth of Jesus, and then we want to consider the wisdom of Jesus. Well, notice Luke says that he grew. That's one of those great mysterious thoughts, the Savior who is sinless, and Perfect and infinite in glory in his divine nature, the one who is God himself, grew. He grew just like everybody else. He he went through all the experiences that a 12-year-old boy goes through, all the growth spurts and pains and probably awkwardness. And Jesus uh, went through the full gambit of human experience. And notice that Luke fixates on this. And I think that Luke does this for a reason. I think Luke wants us to see that Jesus um, is in every way like us, though he was without sin. Luke is doing what the writer of Hebrews does for us, telling us that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with us in our weaknesses because he was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Um, Every experience that you and I have, every experience that children have, without sin, Jesus had. All the interactions with others, all of the intricacies, and notice that Luke highlights several things. He says that the child became strong. He, he was growing into a man. This is the beginning of his manhood. In Jewish culture uh, today, they have a bar mitzvah when a child's 13. Here, Jesus has become 12. He is on his way. He is becoming a man. He is growing strong, and notice Luke tells us that he is filled with wisdom and the favor or the grace of God was upon him. Now, Jesus didn't lack anything sinfully. To say that Jesus grew in wisdom doesn't mean that he had sinful imperfections. Jesus had limitations, just like we do. Um, Jesus had a perfect amount of wisdom commensurate to the age at which he lived. When Jesus was eight, he had the perfect amount of wisdom an eight-year-old could have. Um, He didn't have this sort of super savior sense at eight where he could go out and just dominate the entrepreneurial world with his great wisdom. He, he was a wise, godly eight-year-old with all the limitations of an eight-year-old. And here Luke is telling us as a 12-year-old, he is being filled with wisdom. He's growing in his knowledge of God. He's growing in his knowledge of God's word. And notice verse 52. These are the bookends, and this is the really beautiful thing that we want to see this morning. Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. Now, um, again, Jesus didn't lack any favor with God or men, but it became evident as he grew that he was growing uh, perfectly as a 12-year-old. He was representing us. Remember Irenaeus, the Early church theologians said that he became an infant to save infants, he became a boy to save children, he became an adult to save adults, and he did so by growing naturally and growing supernaturally. Notice what Luke says in verse 52, he grew in favor with God and he grew in favor with men. He he grew in his love for the Lord, and he grew in his love for his neighbor. Isn't that marvelous? Jesus came to fulfill the law, and part of growing in wisdom is growing in godliness. Love for the Lord, love for your neighbor. Um, notice that uh, Jesus's growth is, uh, secondly, and, and most importantly, supplemented, by this great display of wisdom. Now notice the bulk of this passage is really focusing on this interaction in the temple. Um, Joseph has taken his son up. By the way, uh, if you ever want to really confuse people, say, who was Jesus's father? And when they say, well, he didn't have a father, you can say, well, but the Bible calls Joseph his father. Uh, He was his adopted father, but he was his father, and his dad took him up Uh, At the feast of Passover, notice verse 41. Now, his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. Every year, I assume Jesus was going to the temple um, and his parents were going to offer that spotless lamb and they were going up according to the custom of God's word. And so the one thing that we know that Jesus did every year from infancy till this point when he's 12 is he went to the temple to worship. It was the most important thing in the life of the home of the Savior. The worship of the true and living God, Mary and Joseph taking them up. And notice verse 42, when he was 12, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, I I was witnessing to a girl many years ago, and I said the difference between Jesus and every other religious teacher... And you and me is that Jesus was sinless. And she said, what about that one time when he scared his mom and ran off? Wasn't that wrong? I was like, wow, never heard that before. In fact, um, in fact, you're going to see that Mary is wrong in this passage and Joseph is wrong. And they don't understand Jesus is lingering behind in the temple. He's staying back. He's he's interacting with the scribes and the teachers of the law. Notice what Luke says, um, Mary and Joseph realize that he's not with the company. And they, um, by the way, it was safer to travel in a caravan in those days. That's the simple ex- explanation. Sometimes the children went with the, the mom and her friends, sometimes stayed with children. Here they've lost Jesus. That's, that's what they've lost their son, and they realize, and you can imagine the panic Mary must have felt, especially Mary, you see, um, and, and Jesus has stayed behind purposefully. Notice his parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. Now, I think that Luke is giving us a little bit of a theological double entendre. Um, I think that at one and the same time, we're supposed to read this as a historical account. That comes from Mary, by the way, how do we know this is this gospel is historically verifiable? Only Mary would know these things, Mary treasured them up in her heart, only Mary would know that, and Mary is no doubt telling this story to Luke or has told it to someone else, and Luke has picked it up for us. but I think that Luke is also giving us this theological picture that as believers um, in a sense, there are times when we feel like we 've lost Jesus he 's not answering my prayers i don 't feel close to him and 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 He's, he doesn't feel like he's with us. Um, Samuel Rutherford, great Scottish Presbyterian, said, a missing Jesus is the bitterest ingredient in the Christian's cup of sorrow that he has to drink. I thought that was profound. A missing Jesus. Here, Mary and Joseph are missing their son. He's lost. They don't. They thought he was with them. Notice the language. Verse 44, supposing him to be in the group. They thought he was there. They thought that, that he was right by them, and yet he was, he was gone. He was off doing his own thing. Jesus here is the sovereign Savior. Isn't that amazing? When we go do our own thing, we sin. When Jesus does his own thing, he, he is enacting salvation and doing the will of his Father in heaven. Notice that Luke tells us, After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Now, I remember as a new believer reading this and not really understanding what was going on. What is is happening here? What is Luke telling us? On the one hand, it seems that Luke is telling us that Jesus had to learn from others. And, And doesn't that seem to strike at the very nature of what we think about the Redeemer? I mean, we say that Jesus is infinite and almighty, that he is God in every way that God is God, and we believe that. And so many of us have mistakenly thought, well, Jesus didn't have to learn anything in the incarnation, but Luke is telling us, no, he grew in wisdom and stature. He grew in favor with God and men. And the way in which Jesus grew is exactly the same way that we grow, by being in worship under the ministry of the word. Isn't that amazing? Jesus stayed in the temple. Mary and Joseph could go home. The caravan could go home. There was an extension on the stay during the time of Passover. And Jesus was essentially saying, I can't get enough of God's word. I can't learn enough about my father in heaven. I can't learn enough about what my mission is here as the redeemer. Now, At one and the same time, Jesus has to grow the same way that we do, by reading the Bible, by learning, obviously, the Old Testament for the work of redemption, and yet he is reading it entirely differently than we do. You see, Jesus is both growing in wisdom, and he is the wisdom of God. He is the one that breathed out the word, and he is the one that in the incarnation, in all the limitations of his human nature, had to be under that word, had to grow, had to learn. But here's what he learned, and this is so marvelous. When Jesus read the Old Testament, he read it about himself. And we don't. If you ever read the Bible and you think, now you read a Messianic prophecy, for instance, and you think, now how how is that about me? Please come talk to me immediately. Um, Jesus, however, would read Isaiah 53 as a boy, and Jesus would say, I am the suffering servant. This is about me. I am the one who's going to take the sins of my people. I am the one that the father has spoken to in the scriptures. Think about that. Um, Writer of Hebrews gives us this really amazing picture in uh, Hebrews 1 and 2 where he goes back to the Old Testament and he finds this divine dialogue between the father and the son that's taking place all over the Old Testament scriptures. So for instance, Psalm 2, the psalmist, God the Father says, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And the writer of Hebrews says, that was the father speaking to Christ. And then he, he finds the passage where the father says to the son, you Jehovah, Jesus is Jehovah, laid the foundations of the earth. And the father is speaking to the son in the Old Testament. And here, as I like to use a little bit of sanctified imagination, Luke is um, Luke is telling us that the boy Jesus is in the temple, and he's listening to the teachers, the greatest theologians in Israel at this time. He's listening to what they have to say; they're pontificating. I like to imagine some of them are saying, "Now, Isaiah fifty three, who is this servant?" And one says, "Oh, I think that's Israel." And and another says, well, I think it's it's this this person or this prophet and and Jesus is interacting with them. He's listening to them and he's asking them questions. He's saying he's saying now, how can Israel be punished for Israel? He was wounded for our transgressions. He's singular. I like to think Jesus did this. He was he was listening and he was asking questions and you know, there's a really potent application here for us. As a pastor, I find that the most mature believers I know are those that ask questions to other mature believers to grow spiritually. The most spiritually mature Christians I know are those that, that talk to others, ask their pastors, ask their friends that are spiritually minded What do you think this means? And what do you think this passage of Scripture means? And I think that's helpful to us because Jesus is doing those very things. Notice that um, we're told in, in verse 46 that he was sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Now, you wouldn't get this from the English translation, but it actually says that Jesus was in the midst. The boy Jesus was in the middle of the teachers. I actually think they were probably gathered around, and he's walked up, and he's sitting down, And he's teaching them by listening to them and asking them questions. They don't have the answers. And here's a 12-year-old boy who naturally and normally, by the Spirit of God working in him, by reading the Old Testament, knows more than all his teachers. Psalm 119, 99 and 100, David says, I have more understanding than all my teachers because I meditate on your precepts. Here, Jesus is embodying that. Jesus is showing us how you grow in wisdom. How, what is a wise person? You know, that's a question we have to ask. If I, if I polled the congregation this morning, I thought about actually doing this. Um, and, and I said, name a wise person. But I said, write down the name, first name that pops into your mind, and don't say Jesus. That's true, but... Um, write down the name. I'm sure people would put down business leaders and politicians. But here the Bible's telling us that a wise person is one that listens to God's word, who asks questions to learn, who grows, and then in asking questions teaches others. Notice what Luke tells us, that that uh, he was asking them questions. He's not interrogating them. He's, he's in a sense drawing out for them the right answers about himself from the scriptures and notice notice that Luke tells us um, in verse 47 all who heard him were amazed they were astonished at his understanding and his answers now it was not abnormal for a boy to go into the temple and and to ask scribes and teachers questions that was normal in Israel. But it is abnormal for everybody to be hearing this 12-year-old boy astonish the greatest teachers of the law. Imagine if we lined up the best theologians in the church today. You name it. Ravi Zacharias, whoever. R.C. Sproul, uh, whoever you know and revere. You put them all on a panel and you put Jesus in front of them. And he astonishes all of them with his understanding. And you see, Luke is really teaching us that if Jesus at 12, and this is the big point for us to get this morning, if Jesus at 12 could astonish the greatest theologians of his day, then he has wisdom to teach us today. And we need to mine out from him all the wisdom about himself in the scriptures. Paul in Colossians 2 says that in him, in Christ, while all, the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He grew in wisdom, he grew in understanding, he grew in intellect, he grew in stature, he grew in favor with God and men, and he did that so that he could be the source for us of all wisdom and knowledge. Now notice that as we're considering the wisdom of Christ, then his mother comes, and uh, it's very interesting that his father doesn't say this, his mother does, I'll just leave that there. His mom says, look, You've scared us to death. We've been looking for you for three days. Now, what Jesus was doing for three days, we don't know. Where was he staying? Where was he going at night? Uh, There's so many questions we can't answer. But here Mary comes and and she says, why did you do this? Why did you leave us? Why did you scare us like this? And notice Jesus' response to his mother. Notice this. His mother said, son, why have you treated us so? Your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Now, um, it seems disrespectful on the surface. Why were you looking for me? Um, And yet, notice what Jesus does. He now instructs his mom. And he says, did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Now, in the Greek, it doesn't say house. Some translations say business, and so you'll get, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But all the Greek says is, did you not know that I must be about my father's? Now, Jesus is telling his mother in a very real sense that what's most important about him is not that he's a 12-year-old boy, but that he is the son of the living God. No one had ever spoken about God as their father like this until Jesus. You can find about a dozen references to God the Father as Father in the Old Testament, but no one had taken that name to themselves. Jesus is identifying himself in a unique way with his Father. He is essentially saying, I am the one who came forth from my Father. That flesh and blood relations are not the most important relations, but my relationship with my Father is the most important, you know. Jesus is teaching us all the mysteries of the new birth, the doctrine of adoption, what it means that God can be our father if we're in him by faith. Notice that he tells his mother, did you not know? And perhaps the best translation is that I must be about my father's will. Jesus is obeying his father perfectly. His father wants him in the temple. As you consider Jesus as the wisdom of God as a 12-year-old. You know, children are often telling their parents, you don't understand me. Well, Jesus knew that experience. He could say to his mother, you don't understand me. I must be about my Father's purposes. Your purposes are not the purposes that the Heavenly Father has for me as the Redeemer. He is, he is imbibing the wisdom of God at every turn, at every point. Now, lest you think, lest you think that... It was harsh, or, and I hope you would not ever say, I would have never spoken to my mother that way. I really hope you wouldn't be thinking that. Um, But lest you say, this seems kind of disrespectful, notice what Luke tells us. He tells us that Mary, notice the end of verse 51, his mother, Luke never calls her Mary again, by the way, but his mother treasured all these things up in her heart. She didn't understand Mary didn't get what Jesus was telling her at this point. She didn't understand what her son was saying. She didn't understand all the rich biblical theology we get. Mary didn't understand all the things that we understood, but she knew that God had given her this son supernaturally. She knew he was the Redeemer. She didn't know what that would look like, but Luke says she treasured those things up in her heart. I want to read to you a great word from Charles Spurgeon. He said, Mary kept all these things in her heart. When you cannot put a truth into your understandings, lay it up in your affections. Mary laid up everything that her son was saying. She treasured them. She thought about them. She no doubt was processing them as he grew. And when he would go to the cross and she would be standing under the cross looking at her son crucified for her and for us. And still not yet understanding everything and that sword piercing her own soul. She was no doubt processing what her son had said to her in the temple. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? I imagine as she saw her son crucified, she thought he is about his father's business. He is doing the work that God had sent him to do. that's the really amazing thing about this passage is that uh, Jesus doesn't stop growing in wisdom. He grows and he grows and he grows and he learns obedience through that wisdom. And and he is more and more and more capable to please his father and to receive his father's love until the father says to him at his baptism in his public ministry, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. The father is pronouncing his pleasure on the wisdom of the son. He is saying you specifically, you as the redeemer, you as the savior, with you I am well pleased. Now, notice that Um, notice that Luke, as he brings this amazing passage to a close, walks down and he says in verse 51 that Jesus went down with his parents to Nazareth and he was subject to them. Now, he didn't just go off and do his thing. He did it in the temple for those three days. He left the crowd. He did his father's will. But then he went right back home. He subjected himself to his parents. He did everything that they asked of him. He obeyed his father and his mother. Now, why is that important? Because we have disobeyed our parents. Jesus had to go and continue keeping the law. He went back. He lived an ordinary life until he began that public ministry, and he grew and he grew and he grew until he was nailed to the tree. And that was the perfect display of God's wisdom. The Apostle Paul says that God put all of his infinite and eternal wisdom in the Son, and specifically in the Son crucified. If you want wisdom, if you want to write down the name of someone wise, you will write down the name of the infinite and almighty triune God who puts all of his wisdom in the cross, and he displays all of his attributes through his Son, and he teaches our hearts through his Son, and he continues to instruct us Lord's Day after Lord's Day, as if it were in the temple, And Jesus sits among us, and he astonishes his people with his wisdom. And notice that Luke would have us treasure those things up in our hearts, as Mary did. And then verse 52, he increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. I want to ask you a simple question this morning. I want to ask, have you ever seen your own lack of wisdom... I know I have. I was thinking about myself as a 12-year-old boy, and I thought, what a mess I must have been, because I'm a mess at 39. And if you know your own heart, you'd have to say you're a mess at 35, 45, 65, 80. We all lack so much wisdom. James says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives liberally, and it will be given to him. And we get wisdom by going to the Savior. Have you gone to Christ for wisdom? Are you crying out? Are you the kind of person who, who, uh, when you've realized that you've acted foolishly, you go back to the Lord and you thank God for Christ, who is the very wisdom of God. And you thank God for the shedding of his blood, which is the display of that wisdom, for the forgiveness of sins and for cleansing and healing. And and then do you pray that God will conform you into the image of Christ? That's the big question for us if we're Christians. Are we praying that that... Our Heavenly Father, who is his father, who gave him the wisdom, who gives us that wisdom. Are you praying that he conforms us into the image of his son? And then I want to thirdly just make this very straightforward application. When I realize how much wisdom I lack, and I realize that Jesus has perfect wisdom, and I realize that he gives me of his fullness... And I realize that I keep going back to him as to an infinite fountain that never goes dry. And I realize that he is the source of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I go to him. I realize that when I go to the scriptures and I dig in and I mind those things, I am, I am becoming more and more like Christ. That's how he grew. That's how we grow. Now, that's one of the great mysteries of the Bible, Jesus is absolutely different than you in every way whatsoever, and me. Entirely different. Holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. That's not you and me. And he is exactly like us, as a man who needed to grow, who needed to mind the scriptures. Now, if that's true for Jesus, how much more Do we need to be in the word? Do we need to be in worship? Do we need to be fellowshipping with the saints? Do we need to be asking each other questions about God's word? That's the way Jesus grew. That's that's how that worked. He, He had an interest in these things. He didn't just try to get out of worship and get on and try to just hurry up with a little quiet time. He lived to grow in that wisdom and knowledge and then to give it to us as we go to the scriptures and as we come to worship. Let him who has ears to hear, let him hear this morning what the Spirit says to the church. Let me pray. Father in heaven, we thank you and praise you for the one who is the very wisdom of God. Lord Jesus, we lack so much wisdom. We pray that you would fill us with wisdom. We pray that you would fill us with the spirit of wisdom. We pray that you would give us a hunger for your word and We pray, our God, that you would make all of your wisdom to be our wisdom. We ask that you would do for us as you did for your own son, Father, and that, Lord Jesus, you would make us to grow in our astonishment at what you are doing in us and through us for your glory. We pray these things in your name. Amen.